Thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. In Psalm 119, verse 72, the Bible says, Your instructions are more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. You made me. You created me. Now give me the sense to follow your commands. May all who fear you find in me a cause for joy, for I put my hope in your word. I know, O Lord, that your regulations are fair. You disciplined me because I needed it. Now let your unfailing love comfort me just as you promised me, your servant. Surround me with your tender mercies so I may live, for your instructions are my delight. Bring disgrace upon the arrogant people who lied about me. Meanwhile, I will concentrate on your commandments. Let me be united with all who fear you, with those who know your laws. I want to talk to you tonight from this passage of Scripture as we do Bible study titled Truth to Live By. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimonies tonight of your goodness, of your grace, God. Thank you for the fellowship we have together in you through your son. God, I pray as we look to your word tonight that you would teach us from your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible. A lot, of, a lot of people know that. If you ever tried to read Psalm 119 in one sitting, you understand it's a really long chapter. 176 verses inside one chapter. That is a lot of scripture. The section that we just read out uh, from Psalm 119.72 through 79, uh, through seven. printed out different in my uh, on my notes that, than it is. Put, put that last verse of scripture up there for me. Verse 79. Well, that's not 79 verses. What are we doing here? What's Psalm 119? What's Psalm 119 verse 179 say in your Bible? Oh, I'm looking at the wrong thing. Y'all stay with me. Been a long day. Let me get, let me get this back together. That's going to be funny on tape. I'm looking and I'm thinking, that is wrong in my notes. For sure. All right, let's get back together. Out of, I started in verse 72, and I read through verse 79, which in your Bible you should see is strange if you have a study Bible. I've told you that you need to get a good study Bible if you're going to study the Bible. And I see Lauren scrolling through on the phone, and it probably doesn't break it down for you on the phone because I took the last verse of a pericope and I pulled it into an existing pericope. Now, a pericope is a section of Scripture that stands alone. It's like if you were writing a letter, you would divide it into paragraphs. You need a good study Bible that breaks the, the sections down for you so you're studying one section or one pericope at a time so you know which verses flow together in context. Now, Psalm 119, very different in that it's the longest chapter in the Bible, but it's also an acrostic. How many letters are in the English language? How many letters are in the Hebrew language? Well, we learned something tonight. 
22. 22. There, and each stanza or each pericope inside Psalm 119 starts with the beginning letter of the Hebrew alphabet and runs all the way through. So you've got these sections of 8 verses times 22. What's 8 times 22? 22. So it's almost 8 verses per stanza. It doesn't work out exactly that way, but you've got 22 different letters. You've got 22 different stanzas or paragraphs or pericopes inside of Psalm 119. But what I did is I took the last verse out of a paragraph and I pulled it into the first verse. I would have started in verse 73 because that starts a new stanza or a new pericope, a new section that if you've got a good study Bible, it shows you as this acrostic breaks down with the first letter to the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It shows that the new letter starts in verse 73, but as I looked at it, I saw verse 72. I thought, well, I've got to say something about verse 72, even though it's not part of this contextually. I want to say something about it because it just jumps out at me so hard. The psalmist said, your instructions in verse 72 are more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. <laughs> okay, now here's the cool thing. I don't know anybody that can really say that and be telling the truth. All right, but the psalmist said it under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, so he's really telling the truth. If somebody says, man, I love you more than peanut butter. Well, you don't really know because you don't know how they feel about peanut butter. If somebody says, I love you more than, than bacon and eggs, you've got to kind of start doubting that. If somebody says, says that they love you more than all the money in the world, you've got a romantic on your hand who is given uh, to exaggeration because they they well they might but David said your instructions are more valuable to me he said I'd rather have your laws and your instructions to me than millions in gold and in silver now out of these 176 verses only a few of them don't contain the words law command um, or instructions this whole thing is about how much David loved God telling him what to do what if your kids were like that if I was just like, Mom, when I hear you tell me what to do, it just, mm, mm, oh, Mama, it's just better than popcorn. It just, it's, it's, it's better, it's better than Christmas. It just, I Dad, when you lay down the law for me, mm, well, you get me. I mean, it just, wow, you would know my kids need help. Well, we are God's children. And David was able to say, your instructions, knowing what you tell me to do, those words you gave to Moses that I'm able to read, those, those things, when you tell me what to do, God, it's just more valuable to me than millions in gold or in silver. Now, if we had the time and the honesty tonight, and I could just start over here with Nancy, and I would say, I just need a... Uh, money or instruction, answer. Do you want millions of dollars? All right, dollars or instruction. If you want millions of dollars right now or you want a list of instructions, you kind of got an idea that if we were really being honest, people would be like, 
Hey, man, give me them millions of dollars. I'll buy an extra copy of the Bible on the way home. Right? Give me the millions of dollars. I can, I can print it out offline for free or online for free. Uh, but David said, your instructions are more valuable to me than millions of gold and silver. Now, I don't think most people feel that way. But I think David felt that way. And I think that when you really love someone, and you've been close to them and you've been distant from them. You've had them nearby and you felt like you couldn't reach them. The sound of their voice is precious to you. Or even the words that they wrote down. It's like if you really love mom or grandmama. If you love daddy or granddaddy and they're gone home to be with the Lord, they've passed. But you've got that last letter that they wrote to you. That's, that, that's something that's valuable to you. You don't want to get rid of that. Because it may just be words on paper to somebody else, but you hear the voice of your grandmom in that. You hear the voice of your father in that. And so it's valuable to you. I think about the life of the Apostle Paul when he was dying. The end of his life was coming. He was locked away in a prison. And he told Timothy, man, when you come visit me, bring, bring me my papers. Bring me those, those, those scriptures that are written down because I want to put my eyes on them. I wonder how important God's instructions are to you. Are they something to be valued or are they something to be ducked and dodged? Because you know most kids just want to duck and dodge what we tell them. But David knew something about God's instructions that most kids don't know when we tell them what they should and shouldn't do. We know as parents. See, I've heard kids say, my mom hates me. My parents, they just want to ruin my life. They don't want me to have any fun. They won't let me hang out with Johnny. Well, why won't they let you hang out with Johnny? Well, you know, because he's been arrested a few times and he's got a meth habit. What? You don't understand your mom loves you? You don't understand she's trying to keep you away from the wrong people? Most of our kids don't understand that our instructions are given to them because we love them, because we value them, because we want the best for their life. Listen, rules are not a bad thing. you got to understand if, if you got somebody who's fair giving you rules, they're giving you those rules to succeed by. It's like when God gave Adam and Eve everything except one tree. Like you got this whole garden to play with. It's all yours. You name all these animals, they're, they're yours. You can talk. How cool would that be? Talk to animals and understand them. Do you realize that it was after that fall that God put fear between animals and people? Okay, so I, there, there was a bond. There was a, there was a connectivity between animals and animals and animals and people, and they had all this stuff going on. They had perfect harmony with each other. Imagine that, a husband and wife never had an argument. They, they never had a disagreement. They never had any problems with God or each other. There was nobody driving them crazy or, or stepping on their last nerve. And God said, you get to do all this and you live forever. Just don't mess with this one thing over here. And they didn't understand the liberty that came inside the, the instructions. And they had to, vary. They had, they had to stray outside the instructions. 
as you tell your kids what to do, I know you tell them what to do because you love them, and sometimes they think that it's for a different reason, but David understood there was value in the instructions that God had given him. And then we go on to this next section, this next stanza that starts with verse 73 as Psalm 119 works its way through this 22 stanza acrostic. And in verse 73, he said, you made me, semicolon. You know when we're studying the Bible, we're always going to pay attention to the punctuation. You made me. That's some heavy stuff. That's some deep stuff. Because if someone asks you, where, where are you from? Now, when I was growing up, the, 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 the sassy, quick comeback was my mama. Because everybody's from their mama. But where are you ultimately? God created you. The reason you're alive is because God created you. You can say your mom and dad did it, but God made that possible. The reason you're still here, we talked about that, Victor was testifying a couple of weeks ago, the reason that each one of us is still here is because God is not finished with us. God has purpose for us being here. You need to get it in your mind. God made me and he put me on this planet. Put me on this planet to be here at the age I am in 2016 because he knows what he's doing. Your life is not random. Your life is not without purpose. Your life is not without planning. Your life is not without reason. The God that we speak about who is real, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who raised him from the dead made you. That ought to be deep in your head. That ought to give you some like, wow. Because if I ask, you know, would you rather have, what year was that blue pinto, 79? Would you rather have a 1979 Ford Pinto that was blowing up every time somebody ran into the back bumper of it? Or would you rather have, you know, some Mercedes S-Class vehicle? If, if you understand vehicles, the Mercedes is going to be a better value than the Pinto. And if you understand structure on how vehicles are made, the uh, BMW is put together better than the Yugo. All right, there's, there's a certain determination of how good something is based on who made it. People pay more for certain watches than others, certain clothing than others. You could buy these same boots that I'm wearing right here for 39, look like them, for $39 in Walmart, but you can't buy these exact same boots anywhere for $39 because Timberland made these. And there's a value based on who made them, okay? So people are willing to pay more to eat at Ruth's Chris than they are to eat at Ryan's Steakhouse because they think they, there's a perceived value. Well, you need to get some perceived value on your own life. God made you. It's incredible. Y'all, I can't make you understand that, and I can't make you rejoice in that. But if you get it, then you're going to rejoice in it. Psalmist said, you made me. Even deeper, more reflective, you created me. I come from you. And there's such huge value in that. I don't have time to just try to drive it home for you. But he goes on, he says, now give me the sense to follow your commands. Wouldn't it be awesome if one of your kids came up to you and said, Mom, Dad, I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for you. 
I love you so much. Please help me be smart enough to do what you tell me to do. That'd be a good conversation. David is having a deep and a meaningful conversation with God, understanding that God is the creator and the creator had a hand in his life and that good sense is to follow the commands that God has given us. Verse 74, he says, May all who fear you find in me cause for joy. For I have put my hope in your word. May all who fear you. All right? Y'all know I'm going to talk about inference. Because if you just gloss over what you read and you only read what is said and you don't pick up on what is inferred, you're going to miss at least half of what's going on. I tell my boys, you better bring that math grade up. I don't have to elaborate. I just inferred some stuff, some negative action. If they don't bring that math grade up, I just said a whole lot of things with a very few amount of words. And that's the way we communicate with each other. We can't see God with our eyes, so we don't get to pick up on body language, but we have to pick up on inference. Because what is being inferred often is telling us as much or more than what is actually written down. May all who fear you find joy, find in me a cause for joy. He said, God, I want all the people in the world that fear you to look, when they look at my life, I want them to be joyful. Now, David was going through a lot of stuff. David had had ups and downs, successes and failures, but he wanted to be able to be a positive impact on the people of God. He said, may all who fear you. So, According to this passage of scripture, we understand that there are a group of people who fear God. So there must be a group of people who what? Don't fear God. Who's the group of people David is concerned with? The people who fear God. Who's the group of people we need to be concerned with? The people who fear God. We need to learn as the body of Christ that what makes us us is not our political party or the color of our skin. We need to learn as the people of God that what makes us, us, is not what part of the country we were born in or who we're voting for in the upcoming election. What makes us, us, is our connectivity to God. And David said, man, I want everybody connected to God. When they think about me, I want them to find joy in me. Why? Because I'm the king? No. Why? Because I'm powerful and I won lots of battles? No. Why? Because I can do them in or do them out? No. Why? Because I put my hope in your word. This is what needs to be said about you. This is, David wanted to build a legacy. David wanted everybody. Who, it's like the song says, uh, the song that came out in the 80s. May all who come behind us find us faithful. David said, I want everybody that hears my story to take joy in my story. Not because I always won, because he didn't. Not because I always did the right thing, because he didn't. Not because I always succeeded, because he didn't. Not because my testimony is clean and spotless and perfect, because it wasn't. But he said, the thing I want them to, 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 to know about me is I put my hope in your word. I hope that you're able to say that. I hope that you're building that legacy, that you're a word person, that you are a person that loves the word of the Lord. Verse 75 he said, I know, Lord, that all your regulations are fair. <laughs> Semicolon. Stop on that. He said, I know, come. Stop there. He said, I know. Well, it, it infers that he knows something 
Do you understand what that means on inference? He knows, but what? Everybody else don't know. He can only speak for himself. And here's the cool thing. You're only going to be judged for yourself. You can only control you. You can pray for others. You can hope for others. But you've got to take personal responsibility for yourself. And David said, I know. You need to be a I know person. Not what pe- people want to. I, I ask people all the time, are you saved? Oh, my, my mama is a prophetess. Are you a Christian? My daddy's a mason, laid the cornerstone on, on the first AME church. Uh, my, what? You, personally, relationship, responsibility for self. David said, I know. Everybody else may not, but I know, oh, Lord. What did he say he knew? That your regulations are fair. Now, that sounds right. That sounds understandable. That sounds like, okay, well, that's no deep thing. We all know that God's regulations are fair. Well, we might all know that on the surface. But what about when life's not working out for you? Is God still fair? What about when you don't understand everything that's going on? And maybe you're like, hmm, I want to believe that God knows what he's doing, but I'm not really feeling it right now. Because David had a lot of sketchy stuff in his life. David had a lot of difficult seasons in his life. David had a lot of joy, sorrow, depression, victory, and failure in his life. He had a lot of holiness and a lot of immorality in his life. He had a lot of blessing and a lot of chastisement in his life. But through it all, his testimony was, I know that your regulations are fair. If you can really believe that God is fair, if you can really believe that God knows what he is doing, then it can set the course of your life in the right direction. But if you wrestle with that, it's going to make everything about you shaky. He said, I know this. I don't doubt it. I don't speculate. I know that your regulations are fair. And then he goes on to say, you disciplined me because I needed it. Now, what if your kids were able to say that after, after a massive punishment, which David had had many in his lifetime? What if your kids were able to come up and say, you know what, Mom? I, de- I deserved it. You took my phone away from me, and I thought I wasn't going to be able to live, but I deserved it. You, you, did, you, you, took, me off, you took me off that team and, and, and said that I couldn't play with my friends, and, and I thought it, it was crushing to me at the time, but honestly, I deserved it. That's a mark of maturity. That's a mark of caring more about the parent than what's going on in your own spoiled little life. And he said, you know what? You disciplined me, but you were fair in what you did to me because I deserved it. We don't live in a world like that today. We don't live in a world of personal responsibility today. We live in a world where people want things handed to them, and if it goes against them, they want to bark and scream and screech and and whine and cry uh, about everything. David had a lot of adversity in his life, and he said, you know what? I, I needed it. I needed it. David said in different places, I was glad that God punished me because it made me get my mind right. I was glad for the chastisement of God because it opened my eyes to the real truth. <laughs> Most people can't say that. But mature saints can say that in every season of success or failure, of good times, bad times, happy times, or sad times. If I'm up, if I'm down, if I'm on top, if I'm underneath, I know that God is fair. I know he's in control. 
And I know that this season in my life is necessary. There's one word that you would never have to say. It's a question. It's a one word that with a question mark behind it makes a complete sentence unto itself. If you can follow what David is saying right here, and if you could truly feel this in your mind, there's one word you would never have to say to God as a question. There's one word that you would never have to let run through your mind and torture you constantly. If you really believe that God made you, that God's regulations are fair, that he knows what he's doing and he's got purpose for you, that every season of your life is orchestrated and ordered by God, and he has a reason for every season, the one word that you could just eradicate from your conversation to God is what? Why? 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 Why is a word of torture? Why is a word of lack of faith? Why is a word of disrespect to God? Why is a word that parents may allow their children to ask but never really should be asked by a parent, by a child who understands the parent? You don't have to ask why. What does Shakespeare tell us? Ours is not to reason why. Ours is but to do or die. See, that's the proper response. See, a good, per, a good soldier never asks why. They just do what they're told because they know a couple of things. They know his collar's heavier than mine, so it ain't worth the discussion. I might not agree with what I might not even understand it, but he outranks me, so she outranks me, so I'm going to have to go ahead and do it. If you could really get it in your mind, <laughs> I know God has a plan. I know he's the creator. He's in charge, and I'm not. He's superior to me, and he's fair. Then you're not going to stay up late at night wondering why. Why? why. Why didn't this person get healed? Why did that person die? Why is my life going this way? Why am I in this season of my life? Why can't I get past? Because God knows what he's doing. And if you will put him first, he will give you grace for your space. He will give you strength in your moment. So many people want to jump past the season they're in. But God has a reason for your season. So many people want to fast forward. That movie Click. How many of y'all saw that movie Click? That man just wanted to fast forward through all the mundaneness in his life. But then he realized that that's where all the living was taking place. Don't fast forward. Don't, don't be asking God why and, and, and begging God to hurry and get you past what you're in right now. you got to pass the test. Or you're just going to have to retest all the time. He said, you disciplined me, God, but I needed it. You were right. I was wrong. Are you able to say that? Can you say that to God? You're right and I'm wrong. You're God and I'm not. You created me. You're, 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 you're in charge of me. It's my life, and I'll make my own choices. I'll do what I want to do. I bother nobody but me, and I don't have to ask anybody for permission. I'm grown, and this is what I decided I'm going to. That's, that's not Christianity. That's independent thinking that would lead you down a path of rebellion. He said in verse 76, now let your unfailing love comfort me. He's not commanding. This is asking. If you read it in the English, and you put the right inflection on it, 
it can sound like he's bossing God around, but he's crying out for help. This, this, this is a plea. Now let your unfailing love comfort me. He just got disciplined. Life's not working out right for him. He's not demanding his way. He's asking for God's comfort. See, the Bible says we have these stories for our examples. We need to learn from them. When you go through a difficult season, you could criticize, complain, get negative. You could ask a bunch of why questions. Or you could just say, God, I know that you're fair. Please comfort me. Are you getting this? I know that you're fair. Please comfort me. I know that you're fair. Please comfort me. That's going to that's gonna get you beyond all your whys and woe is me's. I know that you're fair. Please comfort me. David knew all this stuff, but he still needed God's comfort. David was closer to God than we are, but he still needed God's comfort. David was the king of the whole world, but he still needed God's comfort. He had resources, but he still needed God's comfort. We would do well in our difficulties and our failures and our successes and our blessings and in our chastisement to make these two thoughts prevalent in our mind. God, I know that you're fair. Please comfort me. It, it, it's similar to the crowd that says, we believe, but help our unbelief. I'm, I'm, I'm trying, but I need your help. See, this is the life that God has for his children. He said, let your unfailing love comfort me. What kind of love? Every word in the Bible has purpose. Every word in the Bible is there for a reason. God said, don't take any words out and don't add any words to it. If you take words out of it, he'll take your name out of his book of life. If you add words to it, he will add all the plagues and curses in this book to you. This is how serious God is about the specificity of his word. And he didn't just say, I want your love to comfort me. He said, your unfailing love. And you got to believe that God is fair and you got to believe that his love is unfailing. His love is not predicated on your ability to be perfect. His love is not predicated on your ability to pray for 30 minutes without falling asleep when you're tired. His love is not predicated on how much Bible you read. His love is not predicated on how much money you give to the church. His love is not predicated on whether or not you come to a four-way stop at every stop sign. His love is unfailing. And you need to take solace and joy in knowing God's love is not going anywhere. His love is not going to let me down. No matter what my season is, his love is there. It's unfailing. It's unchanging. He said, just as you promised me, your servant. So here, David, people, I've heard people say this. When you pray, remind God of his word. Well, that's not possible. You can't remind someone something of something that they haven't forgotten. Okay? Reminding someone infers that they might have forgotten. All right, it's, he's, he, so, some preachers would say, see, David is, is reminding God of his word. He's calling out God on his word. He's holding God to his word. Well, you don't hold God to his word. God holds together on himself. He's reminding himself. He's encouraging himself of the promises of God. See, this is why he said, to, to bless the Lord at all times and forget not his many benefits. 
you got to position yourself to be thankful and grateful at all times, and you got to look for God's benefits in every season of your life. And this is what he's doing. He's remembering, okay, you promised me. I serve you, Lord, and you promised me that you would comfort me and that your love would never fail. And you need to get some stuff in your mind about God that you remind yourself of all the time. Or you're going to end up in a woe is me. I don't know how I'm going to make it. God's mercies are new every day. I just think I've blown it so much that God will never love me again. God's love is unfailing. You got to get this down in your mind. You got to get this down in your spirit. And you have to remind yourself I serve the living God, I serve the creator of all that there is. I serve a God. Even his regulations are fair. He, when, when, when I go through stuff, I deserve it. But his promise is that he will comfort me. And I trust in that. Verse 77, he says, surround me with your tender mercies so I may live. Same thing. If I put the wrong inflection on that, it would sound like I'm bossing God around, but you can't boss God around. This is his cry. This is his appeal to God. This, 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 this is his prayer that God would let him be surrounded with tender mercies. You want to be able to live? You want to have life? You want to have abundant life? You want to have joy? You want to be all that God created you to be? You got to get your mind right that God is fair. You got to, you got to get your mind right that, that you put your hope in him. You got to get your mind right that discipline is necessary. You got to get your mind right that God has enough tender mercy to surround you. God's not running out of grace. God's not running out of mercy. See, grace, some people have said, and it's bigger than this definition, but some people have said, and it's okay, that grace is getting more than you deserve. Grace is getting something that you didn't, that you didn't work for, that you didn't earn, unmerited favor. It's bigger than that, but we'll go with that for tonight partial definition so if grace is getting better than what you deserve what is mercy not getting what you deserve see my kids have known that from the beginning because I try to use teaching moments from my kids and I tell them I'm I'm going to spank you because you need it I'm going to spank you because justice demands discipline. And sometimes I would say, you know, I should spank you. Because you deserve it. But I'm going to choose to give you mercy. What is mercy? Not giving someone what they deserve. Now I hope you desire grace and mercy. I hope you desire God to give you stuff you didn't work for. And I hope you desire God to not give you what you deserve. See, David was an out there dude. David was a strong man of faith. David told God in one, in one verse, he said, reward me according to what I've done. Mm. Leave that up to other people to pray that. Don't ever ask God for that. You don't want that. You don't, you don't want justice. You want mercy. I guarantee you, my kids aren't, aren't the smartest human beings in the world, but they're smart enough to know they'd rather have mercy than justice. You throw yourself on God's mercy, 
And you need to be comforted by the realization of God's mercy is tender. Say, I've been in the system. I've been incarcerated. I've stood before a couple of judges in my life when I was guilty and they had power over me. And when you know you're guilty and your public defender ain't going to get you off and they've got you red-handed and all you can do is throw yourself on the mercy of the court, which at that point means that judge, that individual one person has all the pull right now. You've got to throw yourself on the mercy of this judge. You better hope you got a tender-hearted judge. Because he may, he, he, he may, you know, they, they have the guidelines. They can give you six months or they can give you 15 years. You better ask, you better hope for something on, on the lower end. He'd be tender to you versus be all the way as hard as he could be. Listen, God is a judge and God has rules. Those rules were put there for our benefit, to bless us, to keep us moving in the right direction so that we can be everything that God wants us to be. So that we can succeed as his children. But when we fail. And we throw ourselves on his mercy. I want you to always know that God is not a harsh taskmaster. God is not a angry judge. That's what's wrong with the system now. Most of these judges have been sitting too long. They got bias. They got they got. Racism, they got prejudice, they, they, they just decided, I don't like the way he looks, I don't like the way she looks. You go inside, you go in front, Lauren could go in front of a judge with those shoes on, he see that tattoo on her foot, he's like, she's probably the devil. She, every, 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 every woman I know that had it, and just, and they have all that in their head. And they hold sway over people's life in this country. I'm going to get off the whole, you know, judicial thing because it's hard. You stand in front of the wrong judge, it really doesn't matter what your story is. You can be hemmed up. But we got to understand that our God is not only fair, but he's tender. And he's merciful. I've had so many people say, I'm so glad I serve the New Testament God and not the Old Testament God. There's no difference between the New Testament God and the Old Testament God. He's the same God. One God. One faith. One baptism. One Lord. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has never changed. And in the Old Testament, see, because people say, you know, the God of the Old Testament, he was about justice and, and, and vengeance and holiness. Same God. And the God of the New Testament is about love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. Same God. He said of himself in the Old Testament that he was slow to anger, quick to forgive, and ready to pardon. I'm going to tell you this. If you're getting ready to go and stand in front of a judge for something you know you're guilty of, you need to be a little nervous. But if he's already came into that little room, you sat down with the public defender, and he came in, had his robe on, he said, look, I see the tattoo. But I like you. And I've already made up my mind. No matter what happens in my courtroom, I'm letting you go today. I'll see you in a minute. Hallelujah. The judge is full of mercy. He's tender toward me. He's on my side. He's already decided he wants to pardon me. This is what God said of himself. He is slow to anger, quick to forgive, and ready to give you a pardon. Oh, I wish every judge I ever had to stand before would be like that. But I know God is like that. 
And David said, well, I will just surround me with your tender mercy so I can have the life that you planned for me. For your instructions are my delight. Now he's back to that again. You need to know that the rules are there for your benefit. People are like, I wish we didn't have speed limits in America. I can remember when the interstate speed limit was 55. Anybody other than me? And they changed it up nationally to what? 70. The highest speed limit nationally now is 70. And any variation in between there. And I can remember the debates on that. And people are like, man, that'll raise it to 90. I'm like, what? Okay, now see, I do a lot of driving. And my Lincoln is not built for gas mileage. That's not. You're worried about what kind of gas mileage you get in, in, a, in, a, in a large SUV. You're looking at the wrong class of vehicle. You need to be looking at something a little smaller. But I can tell you this. If I drive 55 from here to Atlanta, or if I drive 70 from here to Atlanta, my gas mileage changed drastically. It's more wear and tear on me. I'm not, I'm, I realize that these speed limits, let's just say I decided to be unholy and I drove 80 and 90 all the way there because y'all know some of y'all do. <laughs> Lead footers. If I drove 85 and 90 miles an hour from here to Atlanta, I'd be stopping at every third gas station. I wouldn't be able to pass exits. What am I saying? I can see value in driving inside the limits. Less likely to get in a wreck. I'm going to save money on my gas. If I have to stop quickly, I'm going to save, save, save my brakes. Everything's going to work better inside the rules. I hope you understand life is better inside the guidelines. David understood that. He said, your instructions are my delight. Then he said, you know, and, and David is, you know, he was, he was, just, it was just hardcore. He said, bring disgrace on arrogant people who lied about me. If you study what David said, David was known for a type of praying that theologians call imprecatory prayers. He would imprecate against people. He would ask God literally, kill them, crush their teeth with gravel, break their backs, and remove their names from your book and all their children. These are things he asked. I'm like, yeah, right? That's like, I'll check this dude out. And see, we know that the Bible says with the same measure you judge other people, you're going to be judged. But this was a dude that's like, judge me according to me. Give me what I deserve. Listen, most people don't need to be that way, and most people don't need to imprecate. I don't recommend you pray imprecatory prayers. But they're in the Bible, and David did. Okay, then go ahead. <laughs> Do that. But be willing to be like David. And you start asking God to give other people what they deserve. You start asking God to punish your enemies. You start asking God to, what, what, what did he say, bring disgrace on those people. They lied about me, God, go get them. You need to be ready to be judged by the same judgment that you judge others. You need to realize that, that the same measure is going to come back on you. You can be nice, kind, loving, and forgiving to everybody. And that will come back on you. Or you can be hard-necked like David and be like, go get them. He said, go get them, God. All the people lied on me. Go bring disgrace on them. Then he says, meanwhile, I will concentrate on your commandments. 
See, then he comes back into something we can all relate to. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. People want, see, we're living in in a world right now where people claim, especially, and you'd be mad if you want to, Black Lives Matters, in my opinion, does not want justice. They want revenge. And there's a difference. We can talk about it if you want to. There's a difference between wanting justice and wanting payback. There's a difference in wanting equality and wanting your foot on somebody else's neck for now. It's a whole, it's a different level of what's going on. Okay? But we live in a world of protest right now. We live in a, a politically charged environment. We live in an environment where, where people may really want God to disgrace a whole group of people and go and just give them, just pay them back. And if that's you, then be that you. You got to stand before God for you. I got to stand before God for me. I, I'm, I'm going to choose grace and mercy. I'm going to choose uh, uh, meanwhile. You need to be a meanwhile person. However it works out. Whether people get what they've got coming to them, whether they get disgraced, whether they get put in their place, whether they get justice, whether they get revenge, whether they get equality or superiority, whether they get what's fair or whether they get more than. Meanwhile, while God's working all that out, we need to be the people concentrating on his commandments. Because if you concentrate on how God's paying back your enemy or your adversary or those who've done wrong to you, you're going to be thinking about the wrong stuff. And you're going to be caught up in stuff that's going to take your mind away from the big thing. And the big thing is concentrating on God. And Dave, David said, there's people who've done me wrong, and I want you to get them, God. But, me, but, but while you're working all that out, in the meantime and in the between time, I'm going to be concentrating on your commandments. Listen, please. You do you. You got to do what you feel best about doing. You can get as caught up politically as you want to. You can get caught up as socially as you want to. But, but the bottom line is you got a responsibility to keep your focus on God. And everything is going to war to take your focus off of God. Now, if you truly can do everything that's in your mind to do and, you know, participate with God, bring a disgrace on arrogant people because they've wronged you or they wronged somebody you cared about, and still put God first and still walk in grace and love and mercy and forgiveness and tolerance and equality, you're a special kind of person. Because most people that are concentrating on wanting, imprecating and wanting others to be punished, they get caught up in bitterness and anger. And they get caught up in hate and revenge. And that's not the life of the person of God. But what about God knows how to handle his business. While all that is happening, are you able to concentrate on, your, on God's commandments? That is the way of God's people. And in verse 79, last verse I'm going to read, he said, Let me be united with all who fear you. Let me be united with all who fear you, with those who know your laws. Let me be united, tied together. What's Uno mean? Anybody know what Uno means? You ever play Uno? What does Uno mean? One. Tied together is one. United. You can be tied together as one. Let me be in 
harmony. Let me be in connectivity. Let me be tied together as one with who? Everybody that's on my cause. No. Everybody that's seeking what I'm seeking. Well, if you're seeking God above everything else, then yes, because the scriptural command is that we be tied together as one with everybody who fears the Lord. With all who fear you. So we saw a couple of verses earlier. If there's a group of people who fear God, there's a group of people who what? Don't fear God. If there's a group of people that know God's laws, then there's a group of people that don't know God's laws. And if you really want the life that God has for you, you need to make it your purpose to be tied together as one, not with your political party. Not with your economic party. Not with your racial party. See, these are all the things that the devil uses to bring division into the body of Christ. You need to be at least desiring to be tied together with the people that love the Lord. Tied together with the people that know God's laws. See, this is the thing that makes us one. And this is where the church has blown it so horribly. And this is why there are white churches and black churches, conservative churches and liberal churches, evangelical churches and Protestant churches. Because people want to quarter themselves off and find a group of people who agree with their political lean and their social lean and their economic lean. Well, what about our lean to the people who Fear God. That's who I want to be with. That's who I want to be around. I want to be with the crowd that puts God first. Well, what if we disagree on this, that, and the other thing? Hey, praise the Lord, pass the cornbread. We're not all going to eat the squash. I'm not going to eat it, I can tell you. Unless you slice it thin and fry it crispy, now I'm in. Because all you can taste then is the grease and the batter. So that's why you sit down to a big family meal, you might not like everything that they're serving. But you need to be one with that family. You not, might not agree with the way, you know, Cousin Sally just put too much pickle in a potato salad. What is wrong with her? All I, so what? Eat the cornbread. Eat the chicken. Find something to smile about and say this is our family and we love each other. I still ain't down with Sally's potato salad. But do you love Sally? She needs to put less pickles in that potato salad. Well, we all know this. That's obvious. But do you love her? Do you want to be tied together with her? Are you just going to cut her off? Because you found something that y'all disagree on. See, that's what's wrong with church folk. Looking for a reason to break fellowship. Looking for a reason to cut somebody out of your life. Here's a reason to cut somebody out of your life. If they don't fear God and they don't care about God's laws, you need to cut them off. That's not who God called you to be tied up with. But my friends at party are cool. 
Now, they don't fear God. You shouldn't be tied up with them. But, but, but I, I've known them my whole life. They don't fear God. You shouldn't be tied up with them. The people you need to be tied up with, united with, are those that fear God and those that know his law. It doesn't say anything about people who are perfect and do everything right. It doesn't say anything about people who agree with everything. You ought to know the heart of the people you hang around. Do they love God? Or are they pushing their own plan? See, because you're leaving a legacy behind you. What are people going to say about you? Best thing they could say is she fell down, but she got up. She loved the Lord. If you get an opportunity to go to the uh, Goldsmith funeral tomorrow, what time is it going to be? 11 o'clock on Kingsley. That's not tomorrow. That's Friday. Nicole's brother, if you get an opportunity to go there, I want you to go. I want you to support the family. So I don't know Nicole. You know? Family is family. You don't know Aunt Sally that good, and you wish she quit putting all that pickle juice in her potato salad. I have to do a lot of funerals or attend a lot of funerals or get invited to a lot of funerals. I hate funerals. First funeral I ever went to, my grandfather's funeral. And I watched his sister crawl in the casket, screaming, trying to pull him out. You remember that? How old were you? I think I was five or six, four, five. Yeah. First funeral I ever went to. We had to fly from England to go back. We are living in England. We had to fly to Monroe, Louisiana. I don't know if they had an airport in Monroe, Louisiana, but wherever. We had to go to my grandfather's funeral in Rayville, Louisiana, outside Monroe, and it was horrifying. And I love my grandfather. We had to go and watch that. And then I preached my wife's funeral. And I didn't go to a lot of funerals between I preached my brother's funeral. Funerals have not been good to me. I don't think anybody really enjoys them, but I don't, I, I don't like them at all. But the Bible says that we're all going to die someday. And I hear people talk about him or her and the quality of the nature, the character, the legacy that they left behind. Bible says it's better to have a good reputation than millions of dollars. You're building a reputation with every choice you make. You're building a legacy with every choice you make. You need to get tied up with the people that love the Lord. You need to break free with all the foolishness that takes your mind off stuff so that you can say, meanwhile, God, I'm just going to focus on your commandments and I'm just going to focus on loving you, putting you and your son first because everything else will work itself out. Put your focus on God. Untie yourself from people that don't love him. Break that. They're pulling you in the wrong direction. Untie yourself from causes that don't bend your heart to God. And get united with everybody who fears the Lord and who knows God's word. These are the people that God has called us to be. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, God. Thank you for your spirit that lives in us and guides us, 
teaches us. God, I pray that you comfort Nicole and her family, the passing of her brother. God, I pray for all who've lost loved ones, Lord. I know that pain. Lord, I pray you surround us with your tender mercies, God. I pray that you would steady our minds from all the things that cause unrest, that cause anger, that cause bitterness, that cause rage and revenge. That you surround us and comfort us with your unfailing love. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Help us, Lord, to focus on you and to wrap our lives up with you and the people that love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org. Until next time, we pray that you will live abundantly.